If you love classic soul, R&B, Caribbean, gospel, hip-hop, or house music, and if you love podcasting and exclusive interviews, if you love urban culture and urban music, then you will really love the Urban Cafe channel. You can find it here on HD2 if you have an HD2 radio, or you can go to WMNF.org and download our mobile app so that you can listen to it all the time. Radio 88.5 FM. I'm Patro Mobili. This is the Sunday Forum, and Walter L. Smith, the second, is in the house. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to another edition of the Sunday Forum right here on WMNF 88.5 FM. Yes, yes, this yes, is yes. the host. Walter us with the second, along with my main man, Mabili. That's right. Repping forth the state. 
Yes, I'm, sir. I'm here to bring the news, and you're here to bring the views. Yes, yes, Then we yes. gonna go sing the blues. Uh-oh, bars, <laughs> bars, bars. Yes, yes, y'all. Yes, yes, y'all. Hey, listen, we are glad to have you here with us this morning. Uh, on Sunday, Sunday, hey, man, yeah. you know, Sunday and every day is a good day. Yeah. Every time you this side of six feet. That's right. You have an opportunity to do better than the last time that you were around. Hey, man. You know, I'm always glad to, to see you. Always glad to know that you're listening and that we have one more time to do it in your eardrum right here on WMNF 8.5 on the Sunday Forum. Hey, listen, we got a lot to talk about. A lot to talk about. Um, folks, we have there are a lot of stuff, a lot of things going on in the world. Yeah. A lot of things going on in the world. A lot of things going on right here in the state of Florida, in the United States. And we're going to talk about it all um, today as much as we possibly can. Uh, we want to make sure that we are clear about how it affects you in these frontline communities. Um, you know, this is this is a critical time as we pray for those people who have suffered as a result of the storms that have passed us by um you know, and, and, and have done some devastating, devastating damage to uh, communities, especially up north. Uh, they're seeing a lot of flooding and things of that nature take place up in the areas around Vermont. And uh, let's see, Jersey, is it Vermont, yeah. Jersey. Um, yeah, and then the whole Bay Area there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, don't, do they call themselves the Bay Area? I guess they do. Huh? Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. New Jersey. That whole coastal. It's the East Coast. That's yeah, what's yeah. on the e on the Eastern Seaboard. Man, it's been something, man. And and so now what's happened is since the hurricanes have left the area, the cyclones are there now in certain areas. So a lot of flooding, a lot of damage, and uh, relief is on its way from the federal government, from the Biden administration. And despite the fact that they are that we are looking at uh, our government shutting down, possibly hmm. if we cannot come to some agreements with regard to spending and the budget that we are that, that we're having to deal with, so to speak. Yeah, that means a lot with regard to uh, to our service men and women out there that are that have families that work for us as as they are. That's their job. That's their job, the military, right? Um, and so we pray that that we're able to, that they're able to come to some solution. Uh, oh, they will. Yeah, it's just yeah. brinksmanship that we face every so often. It is so that the right yeah. wing can show flex some muscles, right, <laughs> and blame the left for everything that's going on that we inherited as a result of whatever. Yeah, clean up. No matter how much how much you prove it. Right, no matter how many times you <laughs> prove it, they still come up with some jive stuff, right? Yeah, every single time. Yeah, they, there's no logic and there's no sense of shame. I guess oh. that's what helps white supremacy right now. <laughs> and the conservatives is to have no shame. No shame at all. You know who really doesn't have any shame? Matt Gates. Gates. Oh, Gates. The guy, man, drives me absolutely crazy. Drives me absolutely crazy. And I think that's on purpose. Yeah, I, I think he. I think he actually targets me <laughs> in particular. Okay. I mean, I think he just you doesn't like me. Personally, affronted. I, I'm affronted personally <laughs> by his presence. You know, between yeah. the constellation, so am I. His very presence <laughs> in Congress bothers me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't you, know, man. That was some good news this past week while you were. Where were you? You were on Arizona in Navajo and Apache Land. Oh, the Apache Land, yes. man. Yes. Well, some good news happened for the Jackson House, though, here in Tampa Bay. I saw that. Yeah, and uh, we hope that it's going to continue to build. I think Tampa Bay Lightning owner Jeff Vinnick and his wife donated a million dollars to help preserve the historic building. Uh, the Accardi family in 717 Parking have been in and remain in support as they say of the Jackson House Foundation and the restoration of the historical building. The Jackson House was, of course, the house where people like Martin Luther King and 
James Brown and Cap Calloway and Ella Fitzgerald had to stay when they visited Tampa because no hotels here would allow them to black people to stay there, black travelers during segregation. So this is a historic house, but it's also been a debate, and I'd be interested in knowing how you as an engineer, Walter, feels about the actual preservation of the actual building. Uh, is it possible to actually make it safe, and uh, is it better to just do a, uh, a replica maybe of it that we can walk in? Because I don't know if I want to walk into <laughs> even a restored Jackson house, Man. but it would be interesting to see a restoration of it, it in it can be miniature. done it can be done let, let me let me let me just share this with you despite its very decrepit state mm. and the fact that the one of the top floors actually collapsed yeah. through another floor right mm-hmm. um there is there is uh, a possibility of restoration uh we see it all the time we saw all the time. As a matter of fact, there are houses along Bayshore, actually, that should that that if if you were to compare them, those houses should never have been. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, people would have said, "Oh, we're going to tear this down," but they could have been restored, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and, and so, in this particular case, it is not it is not uh, it is not structurally sound, obviously, but there are uh, but it's not beyond repair. Right. Yeah, it should. It could be repaired, but you can stabilize appropriately. It can be properly stabilized, okay. um, and it, it it has to happen from the bottom up. Yeah, it has to happen from the bottom up. And um, is it going to be tough? Yes, it, it it's going to be tough, but um, it's worth it. The question has always been: Is it worth it? Right. Mm-hmm. That's been the argument to you know to those people who. Uh, who we sought funding from, mm-hmm. right? So as the as as the work pushes on to try to restore uh, this landmark, yeah. It let me be clear. It is it is definitely is definitely uh, able to be restored. And would I walk in? Yes, I would. Once it's once it's restored, of yeah. course. I mean, but as as someone who would who would possibly be in a situation, I've been inside. I've actually been inside before, mm-hmm. and it is. I mean, it's not. It's amazing. Actually, it's absolutely amazing. I've been in houses in in Ebor City, for instance, that are well over a hundred years old. Well over a hundred years old, mm-hmm. and they survived fires. Okay. And this was during the time that DOT was having these homes removed and even destroyed. These are these are historic homes. I mean, homes that are well, as I said before, well over 100 years old that are part of Tampa and Hillsborough County history, and they were being destroyed every single turn you looked at. And so we've lost a lot of history as a result of the urban renewal. And expansion of the expressway, yeah. and things like that, and so it is incumbent upon us to look at how we can preserve these things. Mm-hmm. And I've been inside of homes, as I said before, that there are stairways. You know, because I wouldn't go on stairways, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, the stairways can be redone. Yeah. Uh, just put in some new stairways. You get what I'm saying? It's not like it cannot be done. There are certain 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 intricate details now that sometimes get lost. Why? Because they are custom designs that mm-hmm. that have to be replicated. Mm-hmm. Now that is the part that has to be replicated. A lot of times uh, is is the the detail to certain things. So. That's going to be important. It's going to be important. and But we do have the experts, and if they really wanted to yeah. do it, they would do it. And now they got a million dollars to do it. That should definitely help. Oh, yeah. Get some good materials. Ooh, yeah. Put Big it time. together. Uh, and they said something about uh, there's, a, there's an agreement that was made with the 717 parking to move the house maybe to an adjacent property or to... Uh, the corner of 
of that street that is on. So I'm not exactly sure if that's a big move, but it sounds like there was some other piece of property that was agreed upon. So that may mean it has to be moved. I'm not sure. I have to find out more to, about that. To move to move the house will be very dangerous. Mm-hmm. Very dangerous to the structure itself. It 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 can't. I mean, honestly, I don't know that I would agree to have that move like that. I really, I, I don't think I'd do that. I make some arrangement with seven, was it seven one seven. I can't remember. These these guys. First of all, I want to go back to something. Mm-hmm. And we have a, we have a call that just it's just come in. Uh, we 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 got to do better. We got to do better, right? And this thing of allowing our history to go to hell in a handbasket has got to stop. It really has got to stop. We have allowed too many buildings and things like that to go. To be destroyed and it went unanswered. I mean, from the time of, of the loss of the of the Pedroso House, mm-hmm. which was the which is the location of the founding of the original um, Afro Cuban Club and Cuban Club, by the way, Circulo Cubano. They call it what they currently call it the Circulo Cubano. Um, you know, and the Pensando um, Martin Maceo. Those those organizations were held and founded in that particular house. It was owned by Paulina and, and Ruperto Pedroso, uh, who were Afro-Cuban, and they were um, they were very heavy in the revolution of the 19th and early 20th century um, in, in Cuba. And, it, and Tampa played a very big role in that whole thing, and that house was the location of a lot of revolutionary activity. Mm-hmm. But it was also the the location of mutual aid society. Some of the first mutual aid, the, the first, I would venture to say that that was probably the second, perhaps, uh, second oldest mutual aid society in Ybor City or in, in this area. Because really, that's what they did. They put up mm-hmm. like um, uh, money for uh, medical benefits for for cigar workers that came in, um, despite the fact that they were black. That, that many of them were black cigar workers, um, or the fact that they were just poor, black or white, right? Um, but they they also you also saw were families that were blended families. Uh, when I say blended, I mean in terms of racially or racially blended, um, would would depend on these people and this, and they would come to that home for assistance. And when urban renewal came in about 1960, 1963, uh, there was a very mysterious fire that damaged that home and forced them to tear it down. Hmm. Okay, listen, let me tell you something. There's a lot of violence at that time, so mysterious fires and forced things to be torn down. Sounds I'm, like the Board of Trade. I'm just gonna put it like <laughs> this, man. Don't let let something mysterious happen to the to the house, to the yeah. Jackson house. Oh yeah. Let let I'm trying to tell you. I'm putting it. I'm just putting it out there. I hope y'all y'all better hope you protect it. And, I, and I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about just some. You know, oh, man. Listen, that's going to be a real problem if something happens in that Jackson house. Then burns. Yeah, it's, if, if it mysterious. If something mysteriously happens to that house, it's going to be some serious consequences and repercussions. Yeah, it's not speaking into existing because there have been some mysterious fires throughout Tampa's Boy, history. What you talking about? I may have got that. Yeah, it doesn't look like the house needs to be moved. It looks like the city of Tampa agreed to a land swap deal with 717 Parking and offered it a parcel of land on the corner of Nebraska and Twigs. So it's still going to be near that house. That's where the house is. Okay. 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 So then that, so that's. Shouldn't have to move the house. Shouldn't have to move the house. Shouldn't have to move the house at all. That's, that's, that's good news. That's good news. But it did get a historical marker for now, it looks like. 
Yeah. So, and, you know, we so. need to stop all this stuff. You know what? I'm going to put the question out there. Mm-hmm. Okay? And I've got to figure out how I'm going I'm to present that today. Okay. So we've lost several communities. We, being black people, have lost several communities. And those communities were taken by urban renewal. They were taken by gentrification mm-hmm. uh, efforts, um, by, you know, all types of... Highway systems. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just destroyed. Completely destroyed. Now, um, along the area where there's a park currently, uh, our Riverfront Park, there was a place called... I want to say Johnson City. Johnson City. If you if you old enough to remember this, please call in and let us and, and and give us the proper name. But I want to say it was called Johnson City. That city or that town, so to speak, ran. It was in West Tampa, mm-hmm. and it ran right along the river. Okay. So my question then became, what happened to it? Right. I don't know of any marker. I don't know of anything that was there to identify it, but I remember my father actually telling me that it existed. Hmm. And it just is gone. Absolutely gone. He said he used to go out there, skip school, and go and and uh and go crabbing right there on the Hillsborough River. Wow. And it was a uh there was a lot of fishing that went down. A lot of things like that that happened in that city and in that town, it's gone. Uh, the fact that the fact that Port Tampa was primarily a black township, so to speak, in South Tampa, very few people know that. Very few people recognize there, there are a lot of people alive who, who um, let me not say that. There are people alive who know it who remember it, but there are, and, and actually lived there at one time. I know of quite a few people. Yeah. But those numbers are dwindling, well, and that history is almost lost. Well, it's, it's lost to me because I had never heard of it. I know it as a Johnson City, Tennessee. I was just there, but I didn't know that there was a community, a historic community in Tampa that had a similar name. And uh, people are alive and listening. Maybe we should. You should call us today and tell us about it. Because I've mm-hmm. never heard of Johnson City near here. Maybe we just didn't get the name correct or something. But I right. would like to know about that. Right. I'm trying to look it up now. I'm not finding any any information on it. It's, if it was, if it existed, it's a neighborhood that's been completely disappeared. Mm. And no. looking at Tropicana Fields, the name is wrong. Uh-huh. The name is wrong. The name is wrong. It was not John. It's Roberts City. Okay. Roberts City is what it's called. R O B E R T S City. There apparently is a marker that is located on North Boulevard. Okay. Okay. I see the marker. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Inscription. In 1909, cigar manufacturer J.W. Roberts and Sons Company moved into an abandoned cigar factory on Garcia Avenue and Green Street. Uh, if you know what Green Street is, you know where, where that's located. That's in West Tampa. And a lot of Green Street is gone because of the highway. Right. And the neighborhood bordered on the north and east by the Hillsborough River. What did I, what did I say? <laughs> what did I say? On the, on the south, watch this, the neighborhood bordered on the north and east by the Hillsborough River on the south by Cass Street and on the west by North Boulevard and was then reborn as Robert City. Unusual among, among Tampa's neighborhoods, it included a mix of Italians, Spaniards, Cubans, African-Americans, Bahamians, and, Anglo, Af- and Anglos. African-Americans could not escape the laws that mandated segregated facilities still Whites and blacks in Robert City largely ignored yeah. Tampa's ethnic and racial social barriers. Boxing played a, pro- a prominent role in Robert City, and many world-renowned boxers trained in the Buena Vista Hotel. 
the Buena Vista Hotel. The neighborhood also had its own grocery, pharmacy, hotel, and fish market. In 1938, Clarify Hospital opened to serve the city's black population. Clarify, my, my oldest brother was born, was one of the last children to be born in Clarify Hospital before they shut it down. Uh, in the early and mid-1960s, almost all the homes and businesses in Robert Cities were raised to make room for the Interstate Highway and for Tampa's Riverfront Urban Renewal Project. Still, former residents of Robert City fondly remember their neighborhood and sponsored this historic market to remind others of the strong community that once thrived. Erected, watch this, erected in 2006 by Hillsborough County Historical Advisory Council. Yeah. Now, you know that that uh, that bothers me, mm-hmm. and it should bother everybody else. It, it, it really should. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, as some people I'm looking at. Tampa, the University of Tampa has written a thesis about Roberts City, uh, and it's a double-edged sword. Because, you know, a lot of buildings which were preserved buildings but often results in gentrification and displacement of the residents, you know. So it's like, you know, you have to put Tampa in this larger context of post-industrial urban renewal America. And so that becomes the question, how do communities in Tampa narrate what is lost Mm -hmm. from urban renewal? What is the response to this um, historic preservation to preserve buildings but displace residents. That's right. That's right. So, you know, um, we almost lost the history of of, uh, Madam Fortune Taylor. Uh, uh, If that had not been, if that had not been researched, very recently, and uh, you know, and kudos to those people who did that that research. By the way, that was a really, really um, uh, big deal for that to have been done, and the the bridge being renamed is awesome. But the fact that you know, the fact that there's no image of this lady. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. And she was wealthy, by the way. So why nobody took uh, at least a painting of her? Maybe find that. But, yeah, we got to preserve histories because it's this is what happens to communities, you know, when they're forgotten and the histories are forgotten and everybody thinks that this... Poverty is the only history, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what is what you're seeing today is the only history, and uh, there's a lot of history, especially Central Avenue, which has been lost in Tampa. This was supposedly that was some real progress that took place, and sure. Central Avenue was a symbol of that black progress in Tampa. Uh, well, it was all our progress was always. Uh, and it's still to this day. Our progress is seen as being something that is that is expendable, that is not valued, and is often right. often overlooked. Um, except in the except in the cases where uh, it it benefits white America to somehow uh, appropriate it, to savage it, take it, and make it their own for whatever reason. Um, shout out to Gloria Jean Royster, by the way, who's the person who did the research on the um, on, on Madam Fortune, mm-hmm. and and I really really appreciate her her work uh, when she moved down here. I forget where Miss Gloria moved from, but we had we've had many many long conversations, and I got a lot of love for her and respect for her and her research. Shout out to Fred Hearns as well. For his efforts yeah. in doing this this same type of thing, and bringing to light a lot of these a lot of these these facts, but 
that is something that I have yet to actually see um, done in terms of in terms of making a big deal out of it, right? And a big deal does need to be made out of it. There need to be, you know, um, I know that in my library in West Tampa, um, one of the things that we're going to be doing is housing a lot of the um, the archives and photos and things like that uh, for our community, so the, so the people can come and see it. Right, I think mm-hmm. that's very important. Yeah, that's very very important. Right, because so, you want the young people to not only recall it, but try to restore it, try to be what their ancestors were, you know, and live that same fabulous history again, you know, in those same neighborhoods. It had to give uh, a lot of work opportunities. You know, this is a a good make work uh, opportunity that could be had. Uh, You're going to gentrify something, gentrify it for the people, gentrify it for the people who would normally be thrown out, you know, make it better. I mean, as we look at the Tropicana Field saga that's been going on to keep the Rays baseball team in St. Petersburg, you know, the black community is saying, you know, you promised us, you know, something 40 years ago in order to build this. And all we got was a one-way ticket out of this neighborhood, you know, and no jobs to come back to, no nothing. Right. So we have to start be real recognizing if you're going to call yourself making a neighborhood great, especially if you call yourself making a neighborhood great again, it's not going to be great if people of color, poor people can't come along for the ride, can't benefit. They can't get the jobs. They can't afford to, to live there. They can't afford they don't want, they don't the want gas. To have, it, you know? We can't have anything. No. So, you know, that can't be what the is plan it? is to displace people. That's historically what's happened. We, we've got to switch the script. We got to flip that script and stop just being given a one-way ticket out of progress. <laughs> right. Why, why, why can't we have anything, dude? Yeah, that's, <laughs> a, that's an important question, existential question. Why can't we have anything? So so my grandmother used to tell this story, right? And uh, the story went like this. There's this guy who worked on the farm. You got to remember, my grandmother was old school, right? She yeah. was old, old school. She was like two, she was two generations removed from slavery, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so she's... She says, uh, you know, old Jimmy worked on a, on a farm, on the plantation. He was doing sharecropping. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was out there working. And the end of the day came, right? Throughout the day, everything was taken from him. So he'd be out there working on the crops and everything. And the old boss man come by there, Jimmy, give me that hope. We need that over here. So just, 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 just give me that hoe. He took the hoe from him. He said, well, okay. So he started using his hands. And mm-hmm. he said, Jimmy, uh, uh, give me that, that hat you got on your head. I don't have one. So he took the hat from Jimmy, put it on his head, and Jimmy didn't have anything to cover his head on the sunlight. He said, Jimmy, give me them shoes you got on there. So and so don't have any shoes. So, took the shoes away from him. Mm-hmm. Gave them over to to the other overseer. By the end of the day, it was time to to divvy up, you know, and give everybody the money and pay and stuff like that. And, and there was this fly that just kept flying around Jimmy. Jimmy didn't ever move or bothered or anything like that. Just fly just kept flying around him all day long. All day long. Jimmy never once moved to swat the fly or anything. So Jimmy went to go pick up his money and and white man says to him, says, Jimmy, give me that, you know, uh we we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna take some some money off you. And he, he counts the money and gives him his day's pay. And Jimmy looks at it and shakes his head. He says, All right, you know. And the white man looked up there and saw the fly around Jimmy's head and started swatting the fly. And Jimmy said, I'll right, leave it alone. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Well, Jimmy, it's a fly. He said, no, just leave it alone. You took everything else from <laughs> me. 
just leave the damn fly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And mm-hmm. we can't have anything, man. <laughs> right. That's the, yeah. that's the story my grandmother used to say to illustrate that we can't have anything. They always want to take something from you and then want to sit up there and say, well, it's not our, it's not our fault. We didn't take this, that, and other thing. Well, you know, okay, in a lot of instances, we can't say that, right? But uh, who set the pace for it? Mm-hmm. Who set the standard? That's the standard. That's the marketing plan. That's how it works. You take from us, but you won't take from anybody else. Why run run the damn highway through your neighborhood? Run that through Bayshore. How about that? <laughs> how about that? Those kids ran up and down. I remember Walter and I ran through rode through Bayshore just to see what was what was going on, see if, you know, uh there was any damage. Maybe we could report on it and let people know, you know, which way they can go through the streets, stuff like that. So we drove down Bayshore way. As we drove through down, down Bayshore way, you know what was going on? They were down there in the sling. We saw those little, little, little cars, the sling shots. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Play around in the floodwater. And big trucks and splashing the water all over the place. And then canoes and right there on Bayshore, right in front of the houses. Yeah. While Toxic. everybody else is out there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. While everybody else is down there uh, on the other side struggling. Because as we left, guess what happened on the other side in West Tampa? Hmm. It was a fire. Hmm. Okay. You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, point being, you know, some people are just removed from the devastation that takes place and they never witness it to really understand how the devastation affects or impacts other people. West Tampa is not that far from Basel. Right. You understand? And so, you know, it's just, mm, these are things that, that, that happen to us, man, on a consistent basis. And it just irks me to no end. Now, when we were in, 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 uh, in your land down in Mississippi and, and New Orleans, mm-hmm. it was interesting to see how people interacted and the changes that took that have taken place, especially in New Orleans. Especially in New Orleans. I went to go see the grave of, uh, you know, you can't go to New Orleans and not go see Marie, Mary Lowell. Mm-hmm. The grave of Marie Lowell. Um, for those people who don't know who Marie Laveau was, Marie Laveau was the premier hoodoo woman, mm-hmm. uh, the most famous in all of New Orleans history, perhaps even the United States, right? Um, and her grave is there in a place called the St. Louis Cemetery, right? Mm-hmm. And you have to pay to get in to actually go and see this woman's grave. This is this is true. This is honestly going to be true. But cemetery is very, very old. Um, that means people buried there that date back to uh, the late 1600s, early 1700s. Mm-hmm. And so it's very interesting to see how these... Um, you know, who's buried there and the age of the tombstones and crypts and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the fact that everybody's buried on top of ground, ground yeah. instead of underground because the coffins, my grandmother used to say, the coffins will come up. Yeah, they'll bubble up they'll because bubble the up. water table is too high. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but but I say that to say this. There are, uh, in that community, while there's poverty that still exists, you it's nothing to see. Uh, wealthy, wealthy or uh, uh, middle class white people that live next to poor black people in New Orleans. It's not unusual, um, and it's because they're they are changing those communities. Um, there is a, there is some gentrification going, both positive and negative. I've seen the I've seen black folks take uh, take agency of the communities there. And they're going in and opening up restaurants and shops, and they are making it happen for themselves. So I'm very glad to see that happen. Very glad to see that happen. But there are also those still that suffer. The vast majority still suffer a great deal. Uh, There are houses that still have been unclaimed 
by uh, from Katrina, right? Right. Uh, you know, there's still the environmental impacts that take place due to the industrialized operations along the Mississippi River in the Gulf Coast area there. And so you can actually smell the petroleum. And at nighttime, in some t- some situations, you can actually watch the the gas being burned off mm-hmm. from the uh, from the uh, uh, the towers. It's, it's interesting to see the different varieties, if you will, um, the different strata. That's a better way of putting it, the different strata of of life. In that, in those regions, as you go out towards the west, uh, we saw everything from the from mansions to the poorest of the poor in Apache land and Navajo land uh, in the in the Grand Canyon. People, uh, the we went to Apache land. And we saw Apache uh, ladies that were there selling uh, what they call fry bread, what we call hoe cakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or some people might call it, might call it depending on how you make it. Uh, some people call it funnel cakes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the fair, and they make it by hand. Literally, they make this stuff and they put it on this thing. And they pick it up hot as it is with their bare hands and flip it over. I'm like, man, you know that's something else. But they put honey on it and everything like that. But this is how they make a living. This is how they make a living on the mm-hmm. side of the road. Yeah, and they and you go there and you. Listen to them tell stories and you know, ask them questions and things like that. Um, you know, there there's a there's a a type of exploitive nature of the whole thing. Right? Yeah. Um you see people who um come in from other states, even other countries, and these people seem to be somewhat of a novelty, which is what I don't like about it. I don't like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't like that that aspect of it. And before before long, what will end up happening to us is we'll end up being novelties because of a of the fact that our communities will have disappeared right. with no trace. You know. Well, no, I think uh, that's a. That's what white supremacy would like to see happen, but it can't happen with us. <laughs> you know, but I can, I see your point culturally. You know that you know we're marginalized and uh, forgotten. Our historical markers are forgotten. Our neighborhoods are wiped away, and and we're dispersed from A to Z, and um, never to provide any kind of voting block that would <laughs> threaten anybody. So I think these things are purposeful in nature, uh, oftentimes just for money, you know, but the thing about New Orleans and the state of Louisiana is that there's always this struggle. There's always this power struggle. There's always a cultural struggle. And <clears throat> the the right wing does what the right wing wants to do seemingly everywhere, maintain power and minimize everybody else. But, you know, the black people and the black Indians of of New Orleans Mm-hmm. It's not having it. I know, know that's right. And they've always maintained a voice, a, a power. You know, we we see it's very hard to start a business in a tourist trap like Ebor City, uh, very similar to the Latin quarters of the French quarters. The French quarters of New Orleans, is right? Right. The, and the uh, architecture, everything is very similar. Very similar, but. And the attitudes were similar, like everybody else out, you know, while we maintain the profit margins here. But, you know, there are a lot of black restaurants that do compete right there in Ybor City, right alongside all of the rest, you know. And, you know, we've seen our food, the soul food, even in places like Atlanta become a high-priced cuisine, (laughs) which, you know, drives me mad. But the idea is, you know, we can maintain our culture and and participate as long as you keep a voice. And I think black people in Louisiana maintain a voice in spite of all odds, in spite of white supremacy, in spite of every attempt, especially after Katrina, to try to whitewash those neighborhoods, gentrify those neighborhoods, 
and, and lock people out, make it impossible for people to build, bring. Uh, there were some families who had a hard time who were uh, stuck out in Texas trying to rebuild their homes in the ninth ward of of New Orleans. And just getting materials there was impossible for the first five or ten years. So it's been very difficult. But, you know, a lot of people were able to maintain, you know, a lot of people of color maintained their position and I think that's the commendable thing but it's not like this uh this class war isn't being waged at all times in a place like Louisiana. That's right. That's right. Um it, it is interesting to to note that you had so many so many communities, you know, as, as we talk about the communities that, that were there things that people would never know about unless you were from those areas and stuff like that, right? So I was researching as we went along uh, this past week, and there's a place in Orange County in California that was called the Pacific Beach Club. It was a black-owned resort Mm -hmm. in the 1920s, early 1900s. Okay. Um, White folks gave them all types of problems. All types of problems. Um, electrical contractors, white contractors would come on the job and walk off um, because they found out it was a black-owned facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and permitting was difficult. Right. Liquor licenses or whatever that needed to be had were, were difficult to, to come by. And so finally they, they got everything together. and uh, It was one of the top-notch. It was, a, it was the premier place to go uh, for black folks. Because it couldn't go anywhere else. Right. Right? But it was the premier, it became the premier place in Orange County. It was the only one of its kind in Orange County. Right? Hmm. And it mysteriously burned Mm -hmm. down in 1920. Wow. You know, that was a very violent year for race relations. (laughs) Very violent. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. There's no, and to my knowledge, there's no marker or anything like that that's there. Probably not. Nothing there. And they, but they have, they have other hotels and things that were put there in its place. But it's, it's, it's interesting to see and know that that's the case. And, I, I, you know, it, it burns me up to know that, you know, it burns me up all the time. You know that, man. It burns me up all the time to know this type of stuff. But that's, that's part for the course, right? Yeah. Right? That's expected when it comes to us. And that's a sad a sad state of affairs that we are expected to accept that type of behavior against us. Expected, but very rarely do we just ex- accept it. Mm. You know? mm. it's, it's like, you know, as you said, I alluded to earlier, the the die was cast or the example was put in motion. I think after slavery, this whole idea of sharecropping, this is, yeah, you got your freedom, but we're going to make life very hard for you. We're going to be very unfair. You got to rent this land, but you got to pay for the the tools, the, the vehicles. You got to rent all of that stuff, and then I'm going to come and collect all of your profits. You're just a serf on this land. We're going to take it all from you. That's right. All of it. All of it. Well, listen, we got a phone call. Let's take the phone call here, and we're, we're going to um, begin to wind it down a little bit for, for the second half of the show. Um, point it out, but point, point of fact, uh, it, the 10th of September was the birthday of my favorite jazz artist of all time, Roy Ayers. And okay. so today we're going to do a tribute to him by playing his music throughout the day. Or on the uh, throughout the time of the, that we're on the air today on the Sunday Forum. Um, so let's go to this caller. Caller? Good morning, good morning, brother. I'll talk to the people. I'm so happy to hear you uh, mentioning Robert Spark over there. I know my, I grew up in Tampa. And my grandmother mentioned how all the area over there was owned by black people, as we know, and the city refused to accept taxes for, for payment, which allowed them to partition it all off. And I know the house right there near Tampa Prep, not too far from Boys and Girls Club, all of those things were owned by a lot of uh, brothers and sisters that are no longer here. So I'm happy to hear you taking up the mantle and taking Brother Fred Hearn's name. I just said his week, name this week. Just make sure that everyone on the radio knows because he does so much for our spare city. 
as you do too and get a little bit of credit so keep up the great work hey man, absolutely brother absolutely yeah that's a must that's a must thank you brother thank you brother. definitely definitely um you know as a fellow black historian i gotta tell you fred hearns has done a tremendous job out there and he continues to do the work and uh um, all those other black historians that are out there, uh, shout out to you. Shout out to you. you know, and just, you know, historians in general that are doing the work mm-hmm. well, he's of definitely. telling the truth. He's amongst those people, and I really appreciate the work that he's that he's done, uh, that Miss Gloria Jean Royster has done, uh, Noreen Copeland Miller and the Cemetery Society that's out there, the work they're doing. Uh, to preserve those histories, you know. Recently, she just she told me about my great great grandfather that's buried out there. I didn't even know. My, See? I didn't even know. He was, <laughs> I didn't even know he was there. And now, you know, I'm like, what? This is why this mean? is important information. That's yeah, right. yeah. You know, I have a a uh, my aunt, my great grandmother's sister. Is is buried right here at the at the uh, what do you call it the, the cemetery just here? Uh, it's on Central, off of Central. Oh, okay. The Zion Cemetery. Zion, yeah. We're we're one of the few families that actually has direct lineage to someone who's buried there that, right. that they can find. You know, a, a family member there. You know, that is a sad state of affairs, man. It is. It really is. Um, it's happening too often. Gosh. Well, Fred Hearns is a he's a gem in this community. He is the president of the Zion Cemetery Preservation and Maintenance Society and works with several local committees and groups focusing on black history. I think he wrote a book, didn't he? Uh, he's one of the foremost historians of Tampa Bay and Florida's history. That's and right. we That's need right. to know, we need to talk more about him because I think young people need to know these stories. Absolutely. Especially there seems to be a need on the part of the white ruling class to lock these stories away. Absolutely. Absolutely. No question about it. Um, let's see. I'll tell you what. Let's go. Let's go to uh, we have. We have we have everybody loves the sunshine. Yes, we do, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna start out the day celebrating Roy Ayers' birthday. One of the one of the, if not the most sampled jazz artists out there in all of hip hop. Yeah. Brother Roy Ayers, 83 years old, as of September 10th. Shout out to you, brother Roy. My life, my life, my life, my life, and the sunshine. Got a phone call here. We're gonna take this phone call. Welcome to the Sunday Forum. All right, all right. Not there. Hey, listen, everybody. We have quite a few things that are gonna be happening coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, we're going to announce them just now. We have uh, the Nation of Islam got in contact with us, uh, and that was from Brother Chad Muhammad. And they have an event going on that is 